I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If, uh, if, if any of you guys want to go for breakfast tomorrow, maybe we can get a little breakfast together. Uh, I'll let you know. Yeah. That's a <laughs> It is Monday, which means it's time for the Front 3 Weekend Review with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Welcome. Welcome. Lovely stuff. And of course, Chris Hellage. Good evening. Uh, Chris, funnily enough, is sitting... You guys are just sat in the same room. Chris is sitting not even six foot away from me right now, uh, recording on a separate laptop. Uh, We're sort of muting ourselves... Uh, as we sit very close together, it's a very weird situation. Where we haven't. Uh, what are we doing, Chris? What's going on right now? What do you mean? I'm standing at yours. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it just feels, it feels uh, slightly nonsensical that we're both recording on separate laptops uh, with separate microphones, but uh, we don't have the technological knowledge to do it any other way. It just doesn't feel right, you know. Yes, I will agree with that. Succinct. I like it. Um, yes, that's right. Chris Hedges is, is literally sleeping on my sofa tonight. It's a beautiful thing. Um, it's just weird that you're spooning him. This is the perfect podcast recording conditions in many ways. Um, usually we're... How far away is Newcastle from... Uh, or Durham, I should say, from London, Chris, usually? Probably 300 miles, I think. Yeah, now just, just free feet separating us. It's a beautiful thing. But enough of this loving, guys. There is a podcast to get on with. Uh, there's a lot of football this weekend. There's only one place to start, Lawrence, and that is with tonight's very, very exciting and meaningful game between Chelsea and Watford. It ended 4-3, somewhat unbelievably. Uh, Chelsea conceding three goals, I believe, for the first time this season. If I'm not mistaken, uh, John Terry scoring a goal, uh, messing up for another goal, a game packed with instant, Lawrence, and much excitement. Yeah, uh, very exciting game, actually. I mean, you've got a great way to cap off a championship, I suppose. Um, John Terry obviously gets his goal, his farewell goal at Samford Bridge. Uh, It seemed like a really good uh, sort of ending match, something to remind Chelsea fans that actually uh, they're not as powerful, I think, as they they think their team are. Um, But at the same time, they can still flex their muscle. They made a lot Um, of changes. They made a few changes. got some young players in there. Give, give all of those, those guys. I think he, what he was trying to show was that this isn't only a, a Chelsea team for now, but also a Chelsea team for the future and a team that he feels confident in. You know, he's got the old guard of John Terry on the pitch at the same time. He's got the young guys who can also carry out system. Um, I think there's uh, Conte still realises he has a long way to go with this side. Um, people were talking about him leaving a little bit earlier, maybe to unsettle him, maybe to unsettle this Chelsea team. But right now, he seems very happy where he is. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him for a couple more seasons set up this as a, a dynasty side uh, and leave them with a bit of a legacy that, in the same way as Juve have now. Chris, uh, whilst we were spooning earlier watching Monday Night Football, uh, something I heard Gary Neville say just didn't sound right to me. Chris, he was talking about Cesar Azpilicueta, obviously uh, a tremendous defender, obviously scored uh, a fantastic goal himself tonight. Uh, build somewhat as the unsung hero, but Gary Neville's saying he's the best defender in the league, Chris. And to me, that just sounds wrong. Would you agree? 
I think Unsung Hero is a fair tag. I don't believe best defender in the Premier League is. I think you can certainly give him credit for adapting from a, a fullback to a centre-back because that's a very different role. You've got a lot more responsibility, even in a, a three-man backline system. I still think there are better centre-backs. So if I was building a, a squad tomorrow based on, on Premier League players, I, I don't think he would be my first pick at, at centre-back. That's not to say that he, he wouldn't make the squad, but I, I don't think he's the, the standalone best. Hmm. Who is the best defender in the Premier League then, Chris? I, I mean, I'm inclined to. <laughs> I'm in wrong Premier League. Um, I'm inclined to say that it's probably Vertonghen or, or Alderweireld. If I if I was building my team tomorrow, <laughs> I would want one of the, the Belgians at Spurs. Is that just because you're staying around my house and you're within three feet of me? You're, you're buttering me up by saying the the Spurs centre back pairing are the best in the Premier League. No, I I, I say that knowing full well that I was fortunate enough to get this better. <laughs> That is fair enough. Um, Lawrence, who, who in your opinion is the best centre-back in the Premier League? Because as good as as Piliqueta is, I just think that was kind of a, a strange just staying at yours, right? Yeah, I mean, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how many more Spurs players he compliments yeah, tonight. Okay. But for now, uh, he's just staying around on the sofa. He may be upgraded to the bed. You know, the girlfriend might get downgraded. You know, we'll see mm. how things play out. But um, as for yourself, Lawrence, uh, who is the best defender in the Premier League in your humble Humble opinion. It's a really good question. I mean, I probably could go for a Spurs player right now. Um, Who could? Uh, Who could? Young, young centre back. No, just full stop. Period, as the Americans young, say. Well, I was going to go young centre back. I'm going to go. Stop, cut me off. Young centre back. I'm going to go Eric Bay, and uh, older centre back. I'm going to have to go with Toby. No? You know what? Yeah, it's hard to look beyond the. It's hard to look beyond big Tobes. We all love a big Tobes. Uh, Toby had a vote in Yamatong, and I think they have been exceptional this season. Uh, incredibly consistent. Best defence in the league, I believe, for Spurs once again. You know, they were the only team to win all six of their Premier League games during April. It's sensational statistic. Uh, it's almost as if Statman Dave is here in spirit in many ways. Uh, let's talk about Tottenham, Manchester United without him. So he has no way to defend his own team. What an occasion, Lawrence. Uh, not just me saying it. Uh, many young four-year-olds have been saying that as well. Uh, it was a wonderful occasion for Tottenham. You know, I was there. I was lucky enough to get myself a ticket, a very expensive ticket. There's no need to divulge how much. But I got myself into the ground. And I've got to say, what an atmosphere. What a fantastic day. Uh, lots of... The songs being sung, all of the, the legends being serenaded uh, throughout the game. It's sort of a fun little uh, game almost to see. Which who... legends? Which legends? Well, you know, the songs were coming out throughout the game. Raphael van der Vaart, you know, the songs about Ricky Villa, the songs about all these sort of classic Spurs players throughout the game. It was a nice sort of touch, I think, by the Spurs fans uh, to almost uh, pay tribute to those legends. Even before they came out on the pitch after the game, um, it, it almost felt in a way that the result was... Second to the cage. I think for many people it was almost a foregone conclusion that Spurs were going to win. Uh, Manchester United sort of threatened to make it a, a game somewhat towards the end uh, after Rooney scored late on. But I think the result was always was always comfortable in many ways. Um, I think it was just a fantastic occasion. I think the club did well to put on a real show. I know uh, you know there was some unruly types invading the pitch after the final whistle. Something that I would never do and there's no photographic evidence to suggest otherwise but at the same time you can't blame those fans you know this is their club this is their stadium it was the last ever game at White Hart Lane even though yes the new stadium's what 160 feet away if that um, I think it was a bittersweet occasion in many ways I think Lawrence because although it was a sad day to, to farewell to White Hart Lane and there was this beautiful sort of uh, film I'd say after the game Kenneth Branagh uh, the famous person sort of narrating the history of White Hart Lane. I think that was fantastic to celebrate. We had all the legends coming out on the pitch. I mean, some of the, the legends were more arguable than others. There was Ledley King, of course. He's only got one knee. He's better than John Terry. Uh, there was Peter Crouch, who, of course, scored uh, the goal that secured Spurs' first ever season in the Champions League. It was great to see him there. Robbie Keane, Ricky Villa, the Argentinian legend, alongside uh, his, his his teammate, both nationally and for Spurs, Ozzy Ardiles. Um 
Justin Edinburgh, someone who's maybe a bit more questionable. Uh, Stephen Carr as well, uh, paraded as a legend. Mm, not so sure about those ones. But David Shinola, my own personal hero, coming out. Fantastic to see him there. I think it was a great sort of show. Spurs came on a great uh, tribute to the history of both uh, the stadium, to the to the club, and some of the great players uh, that have played at this stadium. But at the same time, there was a an optimism about looking to the future, looking forward to that new stadium that, you know, for many Spurs fans, I think the best days are yet to come for Tottenham Hotspur. Um, a lot of excitement, a lot of, uh, a lot of optimism about that new stadium, um, about Pochettino staying at the club, about this young, promising squad that are there as well. So I think um, it was a fantastic day and a perfect way to wrap off uh, or wrap up the season unbeaten, I think for the first time since 1966, I think, unbeaten at home in the league. Um, so, yeah, it, it got a free flag as well, Lawrence. You can't argue with that, you know. A free T-shirt, that was nice. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of the uh, talk turns towards, you know, next season. I think it's easy for a lot of fans to snipe about, oh, how Spurs haven't won anything. You know, they, they won the putting on the pressure trophy, I think some people called it. They won the finishing above Arsenal trophy. I think it's easy to belittle Spurs, but when you look at the expectations at the start of the season, when you look at the uh, the, the the way many people projected them to maybe struggle to finish in the top four, I think it's been a fantastic achievement for Spurs to finish second now, to finish above Arsenal. You know, easy for other fans to try and, you know, use that as almost a, a stick to beat Spurs with. But I think um, it's a fantastic achievement nonetheless. Uh, wouldn't you agree, Chris Hennage, sitting just a few feet away from me, that it's been a fantastic season for Spurs? It, it has because it's felt like progression. That's, that's the key thing. I, uh, it's very easy to, to quantify things in trophies. I think for Spurs at this precise moment, there, there is a feeling of a project being undertaken. Not just in terms of getting them up the the league and and getting them into the Champions League, but I think actually building a squad that could could mount a challenge so that there is no sort of ambiguity about you know did they let it slip or what have you, so that they're the ones on top and and they're essentially asking the the rest of the pack to to chase them rather than doing the chasing themselves. I think in many ways it was Spurs who made this a title challenge. This season, I think we all expected Manchester City to be fighting for the Premier League title. We all expected Manchester United maybe to be up there. Um, but Spurs, I think, were the one team who, albeit having a, a patchy sort of first half of the season, putting together that incredible run after Christmas, putting together those nine wins in a row, they sort of transformed this into a title challenge in the end, Chris. I think a lot of people now are already looking to next season. Um, I mean, for you... What do Spurs need to do next season to, to continue this project and continue this this optimism, continue this momentum? Do you think it's important for them to, to actually win silverware? Because, you know, as a Spurs fan myself, I think next year is crucial. It could potentially be a very, almost a defining season for, for Pochettino and for this side. They've been together now for for two seasons. Uh, the likes of Deli Ali and Harry Kane have have proved themselves on this stage uh, with their consistency over the course of back-to-back -back seasons. Um, Eric Dyer as well. I think the whole squad's sort of uh, coming together in a way. The whole project is coming together. Next season presents its own challenges, of course. Wembley uh, being the home stadium for Spurs. Do you think if things don't continue on the upwards trajectory, Spurs being of the status it is perhaps not one of the elite clubs in England, although you know, almost a, a burgeoning status in that respect, that if they don't achieve silverware, if they don't achieve progress, that, you know, there is the danger, there is the risk that the likes of Dele Alli, the likes of uh, maybe even Mauricio Pochettino could look elsewhere to fulfil their, their ambitions at the end of next season? Possibly. I, I think what Spurs have to do, yeah, yes, winning something will, will be an important milestone for them. Um, whether it's an FA Cup or a League Cup even, it is, as long as this team wins something, then it can start to, to, to really push forward, I think, at least from a mental perspective. In terms of what they have to do, actually, as a team, as a football club, I think, firstly, they have to become shrewder with their big money investments. You look at the likes of Soldado, and, and I feel bad for saying him, but Lamella to a certain degree, and then obviously Sissoko as well. 
they've not been able to give consistent value for money. I think that's the problem because Lamella has been a game changer at points, but it, again, it's not been that consistency. Unfortunately, he's had that nasty injury this season. So when it comes to to making those those high ticket purchases, I think they do need to become a little bit shrewder there. I'd also like to see some of the young players start to be integrated into this. You look at Marcus Edwards as a good example. Um, Keenan Bennett, who's in the under-18s, maybe putting him onto a pathway so he can either go out on loan or something like that. There's been a few, these last few years, I look at Cameron Carter-Vickers, who got a start in the FA Cup, Alex Pritchard. More so with Pritchard, I think that kind of player, it's been difficult for Spurs because they've been so desperate to, to move up the league and achieve something. They necessarily can't take a risk, I would imagine they'd argue, with someone like Pritchard. And I think that's where perhaps they have to show just a little bit of courage and, and throw someone like that in. I think that's a very good point you make. I think it's definitely going to be a balance of those uh, two factors almost. I think definitely with the new stadium coming in with uh, potential handbrakes almost on Spurs' financial muscle, bringing through those young players as Pochino has shown he can do, is something they're going to have to, to continue to... Uh, to to prove um, and definitely as you say those big money signing Spurs don't have a great record of spending their money wisely I think it's been so hit or miss the past few seasons for every uh, Victor Wanyama who I think has been a fantastic signing this season as you mentioned there there is a Musa Suzuka who is uh, it's still beggars belief the most expensive signing in Tottenham Hotspur's history um, Eric Lamena I think you know uh, he was an inc- he was one of the best players for Spurs last season it, it's very Disappointing, almost, almost surprising that you know we've, we've coped so well without him because he was so vital to uh, the way Pochettino wanted his side to play last season, uh, with his pressing, with his aggression, his intensity um, in pressuring opponents. Um, Janssen again hasn't really done the job that he was brought in to do. So I think if this summer we can sort of, we definitely need to bring in players. We're going to strengthen that squad. Who we're going to uh, improve our depth, improve our options from the bench, certainly. Um, provide other options to break down stubborn teams who are potentially going to approach us in a more cautious light next season. Um, I think that is going to be key. Um, you know, Wilfried Zaha is someone I think would be a great signing. But as Dave mentioned Lol. before, yeah, I knew you were going to jump in that point. You know, it depends, how, it depends how much his price tag is, Dave. But perfect time for you to come in. We've been talking about Spurs and what a fantastic occasion it was for them. Uh, the perfect way to send off White Hart Lane and to look towards the future. As for Manchester United, um, do you think it's harsh to say that Jose Mourinho threw this game once again as he was accused of doing against Arsenal? What I'd say though is when I saw that lineup, yeah, when it was announced, I felt very confident the Spurs were going to win this game mm-hmm. as I had before the game. It wasn't a lineup that I ever felt threatened. The perfect send-off to White Hart Lane. No, I think I kind of agree with that. I think it's it's like a mixture of a team that's got youth in it, but then it's got players like Wayne Mooney and Michael Carrick that just shouldn't be at the football club anymore. That in terms of a progressive United team under Mourinho shouldn't be there. They're just not good enough. You know, Wayne Mooney in the last two games against Arsenal and Spurs put in 13 tackles and, he, and not even won a single one. Absolutely atrocious. Um, you know, the likes of Mourinho's tactics as well, going to and Xavier, Michael Carrick, man marking Deli Ali and Christian Eriksen just didn't work. You know, Spurs were playing a 4-2-3-1, United were playing a 4-2-3-1. So why did Mourinho get his two defensive midfielders to pull, to pick up their, you know, Spurs' right winger and uh, attacking mid? Doesn't that open up space for Wanyama, open up space for Son, which it did? It just seemed a bit weird for Mourinho, it really did. It seemed like he, as well as the players, he didn't really care. And it was kind of like just for players like Anthony Martial to come out and see what they could do. Obviously, all the eggs are in the, the Europa League basket, as we mentioned on this podcast last week. But... Uh, it's something that I said to Stephen House earlier today. I was on the uh, the warm down show he's got on his channel. Do go and check it out. Shameless plug. But I sort of almost mentioned that I felt like it was almost it was something that you wouldn't have expected in a million years from Manchester United or even Jose Mourinho to sort of field a team like this to field uh, a side that felt so weakened. And as you say, uh, given the impression that he doesn't really care about a game, be it against uh, a Spurs team who finished in second, be it against you know. Uh, with Manchester United almost not certain to finish outside top four, I know that was confirmed after the game, but almost that he'd almost given up in a sense. The big thing with them that frustrated me personally was they didn't experiment with anything. Like the lineup looked like it could have been a 3 4 3, playing two and Xavier, maybe as a right wing back, maybe as a right centre back. 
And it did. It wasn't that. It was a four-two-three-one. It was very basic. It was how United have been playing all season in these bigger games and been struggling. You know, a four-four-two diamond that we touched on against Manchester City at the start of the game. Mkhitaryan as a as a ten, Martial and Rashford as the the two strikers. It, these things he needs to start to play around with it. And why not do it now? Like, why are you messing about? Why are you playing Michael mm. Carrick? Why are you playing Wayne Rooney? You might as well not. You know, if you if you know that this is it, it's done. Like you might as well experiment. You know, I've, I've been super supportive of Mourinho this season. He's a fantastic manager. But there's times now where he might as well just go, why don't we just try this? Why don't we try that? Why don't we see what we can do here? Mm. Is a back three going to work? You know, what Chelsea done, they won the Premier League. Oh, they played a 3-4-3. Why don't we try that? Why don't we, you know, work for that for a few games? Maybe try that. You know, there's a lot of things Mourinho could do tactically. And until uh, Herrera and Mkhitaryan were brought on, United were awful, absolutely awful. The game changed, and arguably, you know, you think of the Eric Bay chance that for some reason he played a backward pass when he was clean for one goal, and obviously the Rooney goal, that makes it 2-2. Hmm. Spurs didn't quite kill the game, and they never killed the game. But, you know, an old United team, or a Ferguson United team, should we say, would have drawn that 2-2, or would have even won 3-2. Hmm. This team lacks a bit of that gusto, it lacks a bit of that... Just, Pure determination and ability to to sort of fight adversity and come back. I thought what was actually really interesting, you know, having uh, sort of re- regarded Manchester United in a, in a historical sense, the most successful club in England, the club to be feared. It was interesting to see uh, the contrast almost between a Spurs team, as I've said, who uh, there's a real optimism around this side, around this club, around this manager of uh, the long-term project that, you know, for a number of years now, I think... There's a real plan in place and there's a real uh, bright future, essentially, for this team. Looking at Manchester United, on the other hand, as you said, there's players there who potentially shouldn't be at the club. There's this really disjointed feel about the squad and maybe the club as a whole. I mean, how do you feel with respect to this season? Um, You know, it's still up in the air whether Manchester United will uh, secure qualification for the Champions League. How do you feel about the long-term future of Manchester United? Because obviously Jose Mourinho is a, a manager who historically hasn't stayed at a club long-term. We're thinking maybe there's another two, three seasons in him at Manchester United. How do you feel about the long-term picture at this club? Um, long-term picture is fine. I think, you know, you mentioned the young players Spurs of Man United. They've got some young players in there. Anthony Martial, Marcus Rashford, Tuenzebi, uh, Fossi Mensa. The list goes on. There's a lot of players that are breaking through at the moment. Joel Pereira, obviously, in goal. And there's a lot of lads in there that, that could really, uh, really, you know, do something at this football club. I'm not worried at all. I think in terms of Mourinho, it's going to be interesting to see next season. I mentioned before his attack and intent and how he organises his attackers. That needs to be massive work on that in the summer. Massive, massive work. Need to get rid of the Louis van Gaals. Too many backwards passes. Need to be positive on the football. And that's something Mourinho needs to do as a coach. And that's something he needs to... If he doesn't do that, then he won't make he won't stay at United for longer than three years. If he does do that, then he will be at United for 10 years. This is the big thing. It's Mourinho evolving and adapting like Ferguson did before him. And if he can't do it, then he won't get far. But if he can do it, he will get far. And it's as simple as that. If he develops United in an attacking sense, they'll they'll go big. You know, Anthony Martial the, the, played six games this season and then, and, you know, last season was 26 full games. One of these things where give your players a bit of trust. And it goes back to that. It's trusting in these young players because United have got a lot of talented young lads. If you sign someone like Antoine Griezmann, still 26, talented young player. You know what I mean? Like, not at the peak yet. Not at Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi level. Can get there. And it's all about the development, I think, at the moment for Manchester United. But talking about development, Jurgen Klopp, Diamond, Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Field, Adam? Wow, that was such a good transition, Dave. You read my mind 
it's almost like you knew I was about to come to Liverpool, which is where we bring Lawrence McKenna back in. Uh, just a week after their stumble against Southampton Lawrence, uh, they go to the London Stadium and Liverpool hammer West Ham 4-0, uh, potentially cementing their place in the top four, potentially cementing Champions League football next season. What did you make of this performance? Um, well, actually, I think Liverpool still serve, serve a lot time uh, to surprise West Ham probably. I think he moved Coutinho into a slightly different space uh, more centrally obviously but he could still cut in onto his more powerful foot um, uh, or, or his, his more dangerous foot um, and then I also think he, he played Sturridge just the right time. I just I also think though Liverpool have done very well away from home uh, this season. You know it's not uh, it's it's not always been a, 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 the same story at home. Uh, you know, we, we go back to Anfield, I think the pressure comes on. I think Liverpool get very nervous. Um, and I think that's where, when Liverpool need to finish their season there, they're going to have to prove that under the pressure moments, it's not just, um, you know, the Champions League nights games. And when they finish the season, they want to get three points. They can't afford anything less, really, because of the status of Arsenal. Um, and I think... You know, as, as much as we're praising a lot of what Liverpool have done, there's still some huge gaping deficiencies in that side that Liverpool need to plug. Typical negative Lawrence. Um, it's not negative, it's just sort of realistic, isn't it? That diamond Lawrence, though, was beautiful. I mean, yeah, David, the, 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 the diamond's good. Well, it's like the days of, um, you know, Brendan Rodgers, in a way, where he had Sterling at the tip, Coutinho was playing no, top of left central midfield, and then they're two the strikers. Tip. Obviously, Sturridge... Um, and Firmino now and Lallana is a 10 but it's quite interesting how similar it is do you think this is something that Jurgen Klopp can do Lawrence to sort of take this Liverpool side further uh, is play this diamond system against these weaker sides Uh, I I think initially yes I think later on he's going to again struggle to unlock other sides I think if people work out what Liverpool are doing it's actually quite straightforward Um, there needs to be some more to Liverpool. Wow, his connection is bad. Um, Dave, I mean, Slavin Bilic came out after the game, uh, said it had been a very difficult... But it wasn't his fault. It was Sam Allardyce's fault. He said oh. it was a difficult season, is how he actually phrased it. Um, we all know you are part of the, the Slavin Bilic fan club. If you took off your bias hat mm. for one second, yes. Dave... One goddamn second. How would you assess this season? I mean, mid-table finish... Essentially, uh, 12, 11 place finish, depending on how they get on against Burnley uh, in the next fixture. Uh, given that it was such a difficult start to the season, given the new stadium, uh, that almost intangible issue that came up, I mean, it's not been the worst season, has it, for Slavin Bilic? It's been pretty rotten, to be quite honest. You know, he's been yeah, on fair enough, two, fair enough. Two, two different spells of, of losing four games or more. And the thing with, with Bilic, to defend him, he's been a little bit unlucky in terms of his. Um, you know, main goal scoring threat. Michael Antonio has been out injured for the last few months. Uh, Dimitri Payet obviously went in January. He was their biggest chance credit over the last two seasons by a country mile and still like top three in the Premier League. So there is no big impact that they've lost. But again, I can't really defend Bilic. I, I think he's rudimental. I think that there's managers that are 20 times better than he is in the Premier League. And he's struggled this year. He really has struggled. And there's been times where They've been absolutely atrocious. I think of last time where they, you know, they didn't win in like uh, you know seven games before that was didn't win six games and they went on to like beat Burnley one 0 then they beat Hull one 0 Small margins, tiny margins. That game game goes slightly different. They hit the post instead of scoring. You know that it changes. They get relegated, and unfortunately, you don't want a manager to be to have longevity in the Premier League. You don't want managers to be like that where it's it's literally that cutthroat. They are coming out of games winning one 0 big big games in the season. So I think it's. One of these things where you need to take a little bit of Tony Pulis, understand what Tony Pulis does with set pieces, with corners. Take some of that. Go back to Big Sam. What does Big Sam do in a defensive sense? Take that on board. And then you've got the likes of Michelantoni and Lanzini. Lanzini's been fantastic the last few months. Absolutely brilliant. Take those two players and build your team around Michelantoni and Lanzini. And you might have a chance of getting the Europa League. But if you don't do the basics of scoring set pieces and defending well, you've got nothing in the Premier League. It's very That's true. Butter. It's very true. Speaking of which, let's move on to Manchester City, Chris. Uh, a 2-1 win for them over Leicester. 
this weekend uh, as they continue to push for a top four finish. Looks like it's going to happen now. They've got a game in hand, of course, now on Liverpool, so they could indeed finish third. Uh, interestingly, Pep Guardiola coming out after the game saying, you know, he would have been sacked by his former clubs, Barcelona and Bayern Munich, if he had ended the season without a trophy, as City have failed to do this season. Um, small club, though, Adam. Small club, yeah. Uh, how. I mean, is that a fair assessment, do you think, Chris, of his own sort of time at the club? Because, uh, you know, being at the end of the season, at the start of this campaign, we were expecting Guardiola to to not walk this league, but to do better than he has. I mean, those 10 wins in a row were so impressive. All the talk was, you know, that they were going to easily win the Premier League. As it's turned out, Guardiola's record has been questioned. Uh, his managerial skills have been questioned. I mean, how are we viewing his first season at Manchester City with, I think it's fair to say, a number of mistakes made by the manager himself? I, th- I think, realistically, you, you have to try and find the middle ground in, in so much as, undeniably, he has underperformed. Um, I think he set a frighteningly high standard for himself with his previous jobs. And then he was, I think... <laughs> Slightly with Bayern, I would say less so with with Barcelona. He was fortunate that he arrived at a club at a, at a very good time for for what he wanted to do and what he wanted to achieve. I think City this season, if we go back to the summer, that is a squad that was in heavy transition in so much as it was right at the end of its life cycle. And so you look at players like Sanya, Clichy, um, even Zabaleta to a degree, you're you're asking players who are near the end of their careers to make a significant adaptation in the way that they play football. That's a big ask. You then look at the, the sort of end of this season and you've got Yaya Toure back in the team who last season we were talking about, I, I remember even writing about him being a player that had no future under Guardiola, not just because they they didn't get on, but also because he just did not fit the style. I mean, this was a coach that sold him at Barcelona, so there was little, if anything, to to suggest he would keep him around thereafter. And I think, you know, that's that's perhaps where you criticise Guardiola and say that his methods clearly aren't very adaptable. They they work to the certain calibre of player that I think he's used to working with. Um, and I think equally his club will have to take blame because I don't think they set him up to succeed. I think actually they really gave him the chance to maybe at a push bring in a few players that could change things and help them, but not enough to, to do what he wanted to do. And and in I would say in certain um, ways, Man City have once again, I think, signed or brought in a player or uh, a manager in this case that they weren't really ready to to initiate and they weren't really ready to to switch over with. It just points to a a chronic lack of planning for me. Hmm. I think that's that's fair in a way. I think the conditions they inherited, I mean, I I know Stephen Allison, for one, (laughs) would disagree with that sentiment entirely. Uh, Dave, what are you saying? How are we judging Pep Guardiola's first season in the Premier League because although I agree with Chris to an extent that you know the, the, the foundations that were there were not ideal uh, he's he's what's the phrase dug his own grave in many ways he's, he's been hammering the nails in his own coffin even though he's not <laughs> dead in a metaphorical sense I'm, I'm mixing them up there but you know what I mean the, 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 he's not helped himself in, in some regards I think he hasn't he hasn't yeah, I think tactically he's tried a bit too much in the Premier League days quite robustly he's not become pragmatic which potentially he should do I like his methodology in terms of what he wants to do uh, with the, the front sort of five attackers sort of going down the line of um, you know going back to the WM system that Pochettino plays so well at Tottenham I think that's the difference that Pochettino's had time with this Tottenham side and if you give Guardiola that same amount of time City are going to be absolutely just you know disgustingly good going forward as well as defensively Things of a lot of time, and I agree with Chris, the signings have been atrocious. The squad that City built, knowing that Guardiola's there, that's the most, not the most frustrating thing for City fans, but the stupidest thing for City fans. That the board have uh, known that they're going to get Guardiola in, and they've uh, proceeded not to get good fullbacks and whatever. You know, it's, I've said this 30,000 times. 
but it just seems to be the same problems. And you know, beating Leicester on Saturday is just another win on the way to something. Right, Gabriel Jesus, of course, is going to be a big player for them. They kind of need to lose Aguero. They need to get rid of Aguero. They need to build this side around Sterling, Sane and Gabriel Jesus. That's the perfect front three for them, great podcast. But apart from that, there is work to be done. There's definite work to be done for Guardiola. I, I, want, to, I want to see him. I want to see what Guardiola... I'm so excited about what Guardiola does. You know, he's going to... Next mm. season, right, we're going to start the Premier League and we're like, oh, Guardiola's playing a 4-3-3. No, it's not. He'll play something crazy. I reckon it's going to be like some sort of 3-5-2 hybrid with a 4-4-2 mixed with a 7-3-1 with a sweeper. I agree that I think next season it's almost going to be defining for Guardiola. I think we'll, we'll see a much improved Manchester City team. I'm excited to see uh, what he does with this side next season with another summer under his belt with more time on the training ground as well. But as for this season, I mean, Dave, again, uh, what do you make of what many see as the biggest mistake he made this season? Not necessarily letting Joe Hart go to Torino on loan, but bringing in Claudio Bravo, who I think it's fair to say is underwhelmed at the very least. I don't think that's his biggest mistake. I don't think that's a. I think that's that's a weird situation where a keeper that's the top of his game, that's just been part of a squad that's won the Champions League, that's won the treble, to drop down to have a you know a shot save percentage of as bad as Claudio Bravo's this season. I don't think that's an error. I think his error was in the transfer market and not assessing his squad quick enough. Something that he's not had to do before, because you know given at Barcelona he knew the guys there. Bayern Munich were a great side. He's never had to deal with with a bit of a dodgy squad. And to to evaluate quickly what he needs, and that'll be you know test of him this summer to see whether he can evaluate what he's got. And I think that's his biggest problem at the moment is not being able to evaluate things quick enough and giving someone like you know Hazus Navas another three year deal or whatever for a player that's been redundant for Manchester City for an X amount of time. Sort of like your Wayne Rooney's, like your Michael Carrick's Manchester United. It's it's a real weird one, and I think Guardiola needs to sort that out. Be a little bit more cutthroat. Should you say with players that aren't quite at the standard? Don't think he can coach everyone, but at the same time, Joe Hart, weird one, letting him go. I mean, he hasn't exactly impressed at Torino, but it's it's a fascinating situation nonetheless. Anyway, look, guys, let's move on to Swansea uh, beating Sunderland at the Stadium of Light two 0 this weekend to secure their Premier League status with Hull uh, failing to win their own game against Crystal Palace. Uh, Lawrence, our own friend of the show, of course, Bob Bradley, making way for Paul Clement. Uh, earlier this year, but he has secured Premier League status for the Swans. I mean, how impressed have you been with him, and how surprised are we? Because I think just a few weeks back, with Hull in the ascendancy, with Hull on form, we were all uh, pinning Marco Silverstein to be the one who were going to stay up. Yeah, I mean, they don't they miss out by a lot. I also think that a lot of people uh, backed Marco Silva because they um, see him overcome the adversity which was there. And I think a lot of people... Um, us included, thought that he had uh, shown uh, a lot of uh, English managers uh, or the managers that had gone previously to be not deficient, but maybe uh, less tactically. Yeah, at the end, I think it's going to be very, very close. Uh, and I think, you know, six points, they say one, one game counts as six points. Um, I think I think the same is going to count come the end of the season. It's, going to, it's a lot narrower, I think. Uh, I think at the same time, Hull also had a lot more ground to make up, not only points-wise, but in, in terms of where they were within their season and how progressed they were as a side. I think it was to, uh, bringing things together at Swansea, where it was actually shaping a squad at Hull. Uh, I think either way, there have been some great jobs done. It's just that they're very different jobs at both clubs. It's fine margins, isn't it, Dave? And you can't help but feel in the last few weeks, that's where Hull have lost it. Of course, losing home to Sunderland last week it almost felt like the final now in the coffin what do you think is next for Hull now relegation has been confirmed do you think Marco Silva as we've been saying for a number of weeks now could potentially be on his way to another job be it elsewhere in the Premier League I think he's got to be elsewhere right Marco Silva's far too good for for Hull City the, the, the work that he did in that short period of time was pretty incredible um, if Hull City can hold him up and you know can He'll be able to get them promoted in the championship. I think he's, he's too good a manager not to do that. So I think it's all about whole what they want as a club, whether they can afford to to keep him, whether you know he wants to be there. You know, give him something that keep him there. It's one of these big things in football. But again, if I were Marco Silva, I'd be looking to get a big job out there. You know, looking at the likes of Borussia Dortmund, giving Thomas Tuchel's potential plight at the club with the fallout of the board. Uh, if Lucien Favre doesn't go in there, maybe look at that job. But uh, you know, there's a lot of places he could go. He seems again in, with England with all the the rubbish that when he came over, oh, he's you know he's foreign all that crap. 
you know, kind of we don't deserve him in the Premier League. We don't deserve his quality of manager, and he he should go elsewhere. How do how do we not deserve him? I just feel like sort of the it's kind of like what what's going on with with England with the the Merson comments. Oh, he's a foreigner, you know, he's not done anything. I could win the league with uh, Olympiacos. It's that righteousness in a way. Don't you think your that, comments like balance that out though? Yeah, I do and I don't. I just many people have I feel agreed for someone like Marco I don't Silva. know that many people really agree with this. I know, but it's it's kind of like one of these things where we on this podcast don't agree with that 100%. But I think in a way we're almost in our, I don't want to say our little yeah, bubble in a way, but I, I kind of feel that. I'd almost say like the majority of people would have had that opinion about, yeah, I think the majority of people would have had that opinion about Marco Silva when he, when he joined the club. I don't know, I don't know, man. He's done, I don't, I don't, he's done I don't, everything I don't, he can. I don't. I think he's changed. I don't that think that opinion. makes people Certainly less worried. Certainly changed that opinion. It makes them less informed. And, you know, I mean, I feel like, uh, Dave. As, if as, anything, as I think I think Marco and... Silva is trying to, you know, having a manager like Marco Silva shows what what can be achieved, and I think he's he's vital to English football. And having managers like that Let's... is important to English football to demonstrate what's out there. Hmm. Because I think, I think I it proves that there isn't that you know that there isn't uh, there isn't English arrogance everywhere. I think that there are just a very select few that are arrogant. Or maybe not even arrogant, ignorant. Let's uh, move on. Uh, a few more fixtures to wrap up. Um, we won't stay too long on uh, Bournemouth winning 2-1 at home against Burnley. We also had Southampton winning 2-1 away at Middlesbrough. Uh, the other fixture of note this weekend was Stoke losing 4-1 to Arsenal um, at the Britannia Stadium. I don't want to focus too much on Arsenal because I think we're going to have a lot to say about them next week if it is indeed confirmed they finish outside the top four for the first time in Arsene Wenger's tenure at the club. But I do want to talk a little bit about Stoke, Chris, because this is a team we were saying a few years ago, uh, a few weeks ago, I should say, uh, you know, they finished ninth three seasons in a row. Uh, we were talking about how potentially that's something that's going to happen again, whether that's almost a mark of consistency for Mark Hughes, whether you know the, the, there's a sign that they need to evolve, they need to move to another level on this manager. There is a lot of discontent now among Stoke fans. Uh, another defeat for them, it's now uh, only one win in the last 10 league games. The season really is petering out with a whimper. Um, and the defeat means they are going to finish in the bottom half of the table for the first time since 2012-13. Uh, their worst season in the Premier League when they finished 13th. Is there a sense, as many Stoke fans would suggest, that you know Mark Hughes has almost taken this team as far as they can go, despite uh, you know some smart signings, despite a stronger squad perhaps than than Stoke have ever had. There's almost a regression there for the Potters. There is, and and I think part of the reason for that is. <sighs> Not in the same way as Arsenal, because I don't think Hughes has talked about it, but I think Stoke have very much become defined about finishing in the top half. So the second they drop out of that is seen as a massive regression. I think the problem is is that even though they have spent money, they've put the likes of Mbula, Arnazovic has come in, even Shakiri, they've brought these players that you think would elevate them to the next level, but actually it hasn't. It's It's kept them where they were, and then now it's actually seeing them creep down. So if I'm a Stoke fan, I'm frustrated because just from a, a very basic macro perspective, you would assume more investment equals progression. And I think when it doesn't, that's when you question the person who's in charge of the players, in this case, Mark Hughes, because I think possibly he has plateaued. I mean, he, he did very good things with Blackburn. But again, you have to wonder if that was the exception with him and not the rule because he did really tank with Man City. I, I think just in, in general, he's he's someone that doesn't strike me as the most cuddly of managers, for want of a better adjective, in terms of I don't imagine he puts his arm around Shakiri and Arnautovic. I imagine it's very much you do things his way or, or the highway. And you, you now have concern if you're a Stoke fan because you think, well, if we go out having now bought Berahin, or who do we buy to massively improve us? Because you've got a fairly good team. I don't know if you've got a very efficient team. It is an interesting situation, is Lawrence. I mean, we were talking a few weeks back about Premier League purgatory almost for Stoke, but yet when they uh, sort of fall below 
their own standards they've set in recent years with Mark Hughes there. There is that, that dissent, there is that discontent. I mean, do you feel Mark Hughes has almost earned uh, more time at the club, having secured those those top-half finishes? Or do you think now, as some Stoke fans seem to be suggesting, even though the club themselves have come out and backed Mark Hughes, that perhaps it is time for a, for a change to sort of take them to another level? Yeah, I don't, I don't always think it's as uh, simple as whether you earn or don't earn. I think it's also a case of... Um, you know, a club can look to move on and look to move forward and say, you've taken us as far as I think you can take us. Um, you know, it's not always this endless growth. Um, you know, people have to plateau at some point. Uh, and as much as we'd like to show faith maybe in the likes of Mark Hughes, I think that there, there seems to be a sense of, um, um, maybe just maybe just that he has taken the club as far as they can go, but at the same time, maybe the club has sort of Im- imbued itself with this idea that they can't move any further because um, yeah, a lot of people are very critical of the hierarchy there, um, how they don't seem to be embracing um, elements of Premier League life, uh, you know, to do with sponsorships, to do with the global idea of the game. Um, and, you know, that that's actually, there's there's something quite admirable within that, but you also have to realise the limitations of that within the Premier League model, which is basically, you know, if you if you don't embrace uh, the New Balance model of a, a global launch um, and you don't sort of uh, manage to manage your social media correctly, then maybe you're not going to be um, the, the favourites of the fans who will also criticise you for not being able to keep up with everyone else. Um, and so mm-hmm. whoever's holding them back, um, I think people are going to be critical of them. And I think there's a feeling within the club that it's not only Mark Hughes that needs to change at this point, but there's a, a number of people um, who at least need to assess the way that the club's going. Of course, there's other, there's other factors there, Dave. There's other influences. But I mean, what do you make of Mark Hughes as manager? Because I've always felt he's had a very interesting career to to go from Blackburn, where he's there for a number of years, to although finishing in the bottom half of the table, to have you know, somewhat what was considered a degree of success to go to Manchester City then and their their bigger budgets have not, you know, things didn't quite work out from there. Same at QPR, where there was all sorts of different factors that played into what was a pretty disastrous spell. Now at Stoke for his fourth season, we're talking there about the the conflict almost between consistency and and being stagnant almost. As a manager, what's your your view of Mark Hughes? I think he's an interesting one. I think he's he's got a peak... He's got somewhere that you know he's got a ceiling. Um, he'll get to you, your club to a certain place of, you know, pushing on the Europa League. But it, you know the style of football, stylistically, there's nothing big. Um, I don't think that in terms of the long-term development, he's a guy that you kind of want. He's kind of like Tony Pulis again. It's one of these things where you've got Tony Pulis at the club and he's so good. Why really move on from Tony Pulis when you're going to bring in someone like Mark Hughes? There isn't going to be a great deal of change there. Um, you know, the board's got a different way of signing different players, like the Shakiri and Altovic, uh, Bojan and, and so forth. But it just seems a bit weird, obviously, Bojan moving on, but and Altovic and, and Shakiri being there and being like spare parts in a way. Um, and I think you need a little bit more of a progressive manager to come out there and, and really show what they can do with these guys, maybe, or maybe go back to the old style of football. I think Mark Hughes is a little bit stuck in between of. Uh, promising something great and then delivering something very average in a way. Maybe Marco Silva, eh? Who knows? Um, right, that is the Premier League wrapped up then, guys. Uh, before we go uh, from this Monday podcast, any other business, guys? Anything interesting that you've seen this weekend? Anything else you want to talk about? It's been kind of a relaxed podcast tonight. I think, you know, me and Chris being in the same room, him chilling on myself. There's been a, a different vibe tonight. I've enjoyed it. Um, I will mention one thing, though. Uh, Dave, you know, we were all together tonight. Obviously, Chris is down in London. Wonderful to see him. We were recording a little periscope. We were doing a, a little vlog in there in, in the pub we were in. And you dropped a real bombshell mm. uh, on us. Good bombshell. Uh, the, the, the bleach hair is happening. Mm. But, you know, this is not going to be some, some cheap job no. that gets done. You... Are suggesting that we raise money for the bleach blonde bet and also for charity that's what you're suggesting yeah i think it's a, it's a combination of, of both uh, two things that i love in the world bleach blonde hair but of course um you know for charity for a good charity i think we'll 
we'll look to set up a page for for Mind Mental Health UK. So any of the excess money um, that goes above the uh, you know the cost of the the bleach blonde haircut, obviously it's got to be done, done at a good place. It's going to be a year long haircut or whatever, however long it takes uh, to grow out. So yeah, whatever the money that goes over a year, I don't know. Yeah, this for a year. No, I don't know. Oh, I'm, God, I'm I'd, be, take, I'd, I'd have done it for about three months. No, but I don't. I don't months, know. It's going to take. You know, it could Jesus. take two minutes. Could take five minutes. Yeah. I'm not sure, Adam. But anyway, yeah, if you, we'll, we'll set up a charity page. If you go and check out the front three Twitter, um, and we'll link it there. I will be contributing a significant amount to this, uh, to this cause. So you know, I'm, I'm hoping to cover a mm. lot of the. I almost feel guilty in a way, you know, that <laughs> I've managed to escape uh, a certain yeah. punishment. Weird, um, isn't it? When you when guys, you've kind of lost the bet, but then you've actually won the bet. Should it not be kind of like a, a a knee charity or something that we should be set on the page for? You know, in in honour of that. <laughs> Is there, is there not something we could do that's, you know, a, a tribute to the big No, man? I think these are important, but also I think your mental health is something that we do neglect in society that is a, is a very important thing. Knees or mental health, what's more important? It's the eternal question. Um, but I think we will set up that page. And, uh, yeah, as I say, I'll make a significant contribution myself. But, guys, if you want to contribute, it's all going to go to a good cause, not just Dave's hair, which I think you'll agree is a very good cause, <laughs> but uh, also the, the choice uh, Dave's... Charity of choice. Mm. So beautiful Excellent. stuff. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening to this relaxed Monday podcast. It was relaxed, wasn't it, Chris? You're enjoying it over there on the sofa, aren't you? I'm in shorts, of course. I'm relaxed. He's in shorts, guys. Make of that what you will. Um, Dave, until Thursday's Q&A podcast, yeah. where can the audience, where can the whole find more of you and your face and your um, face and things at the Set Monday Football podcast? Make sure you go check that out. Um, will be available probably the s- at some yeah, point. Today. It's the second best football podcast. Yeah, I think the second best. Second yeah, best, obviously ever. behind the football yeah. ramble, right? Uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, Lawrence McKenna. Uh, he's, he's, he's been struggling with the signal tonight. He's had a little bit of dodgy signal, but he's he's struggled on valiantly. Uh, where can the whole find more of you, Lawrence? Certainly struggled on uh, at Loscast. L O Z C A S T. And. Just like that, ironically enough, you come through crystal clear. Uh, Chris Hennage, where can people find you apart from on the sofa of Adam Baldwin? Uh, I'll be in New York by Thursday. If people aren't in New York, could they find you on, I don't know, some sort of social media platforms or? Uh, at the front three. So selfless. I love it. Guys, uh, you can follow me at Adam Bowen and only at Adam Bowen to find my incredibly intelligent musings and also to see a video from the pitch of White Hart Lane. It was great fun. Uh, I think I'm also going to be on Stephen Housen's show podcast thing, the warm down for more Tottenham Manchester United analysis. Very exciting. I'm sure you'll agree. We'll be back on Thursday with the Q&A podcast. Until then, look out for some new videos. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market on the front for a YouTube channel and have a bloody great week.